Yeah, well, um, my name's Asha Packman, and I'm the host of the Warrior Within podcast, looking at all things manhood and masculinity, and uh, really delighted today to have um, with me Tyson Yonker-Porter, the author of Sand Talk and uh, many, many other things, the senior lecturer at Deakin University um, on Indigenous knowledge, and um, I've only had a little bit to do with Tyson so far, but I'm just completely... Um, blown away by this man's wisdom um, in the short short connection that we've had. And um, as a group, many of you will know, we're reading Sand Talk at the moment. So it's an ideal time to kind of have Tyson on the podcast and to, to listen um, to a bit more of his words. So Tyson, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Uh, it's really good to be here. Yeah, look, look, it's a really interesting time to kind of have you on, particularly with where we are at this moment in time in the world. And I kind of wanted to start things off by kind of asking you, I guess, from the perspective of Indigenous wisdom, like what is going on? Coronavirus, um, you know, we've, we've got all the, the reverberations of, of the killing of George Floyd in, in, in Minneapolis, which has literally vibrated right around the world. And uh, is there a pattern that, that you could speak to? Uh, I, I guess it... it... <laughs> A lot of it's, um, I think it's, a, it's around identity. You know, people are struggling for some kind of identity. There's been, we've had about 40 years of social fragmentation under an, an enormous failed experiment of what liberalism turned into. You know, um, there's been a massive transfer of wealth. And in order to, um, to pull that off, there's also had to be a lot of social fragmentation and breakdown of communities, breakdown of the most basic fundamental relationships that make a community work um, until we've all become these individuals. And then in our desperation, you know, um, trying to, to grasp onto some kind of identity individually, but in the end, because of the, the economic system, which has taken over the culture of the entire world, all those identities, uh, it looks more like branding, the way people take on these identities. You know, it's more about, it's like your, your own little mini corporation and that you're, um, you're looking at, you know, leveraging various aspects of your identity. You know, um, it's kind of like this weird futures trading kind of thing. You're leveraging your relationships, what's left of them, and you're leveraging whatever resources you've got. And one of your resources is this identity, whatever it may be. And you're leveraging that, you know, um, uh, to invest in yourself and your own personal future. Um, we're all out there struggling <laughs> for ourselves while trying to reconnect with a sense that we've lost something. And, um, you know, what we end up with when all these little identities sort of cluster together in different groups it is not any kind of cohesion or solidarity. You know, we basically have these echo chambers where memes just reverberate around and, and ping off the walls of that echo chamber and then gain momentum and just, and just grow into insanity, you know? Um, yeah. And just the, um, <laughs> I don't know, I guess the, the collapse of, um, of, of this sort of white male sovereignty, the collapse of that over the last 10 years or so, and the challenges to that, and the, the kind of 
uh, the teetering centrality of that dominance, um, it, you know, that, that has caused some massive backlashes, you know, understandably from the individual point of view of people who don't know what they can call themselves or be anymore or how to be in the world. And so, you know, somebody will do something and then everyone else will jump on to support that. And then, then, then everyone else from other groups will jump on to condemn that and cancel that and, 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 and off it goes. So you end up with, you know, one incident that should be dealt with, you know, in the community or, you know, if you'd have no community anymore, then by these institutions that we're supposed to trust, you know, it doesn't happen, you know, most of the, like uh, a, a woman's raped, you know, and 99% of the time she won't even report it because what's the point? She knows what's going to happen. You know, she's not going to find any justice there. And if she does, it, her entire life will be raked over the coals to get it. You know, mm. it's just not worth it. So the institutions aren't there to support people anymore. And, um, and we end up with this weird, you know, Salem-esque kind of, <laughs> swirling of this kind of mob justice going on and um <clears throat> and i say mob justice because it is the mob it's not community in in structures of um of you know your people who are living together in the right way you know um finding ways to um you know when someone transgresses they're not looking at trying to correct that behavior or mm -hmm. correct that person you know, um, so we, it's just a war and it's a massive, it's a, it's a melee kind of war. <laughs> so what, what would you say to, to, to someone who is, <clears throat> I guess, feeling the, the, the insecurity and the anxiousness around all this? Like, how do you, how, how as an individual do I navigate my way through these times? Yeah. Um, learn a little bit about statistics first. So, you know, find out what data actually is um, and, you know, ways of analyzing that data. Just, just 101, just the very basics, you know. I mean, unless you want to just stop, you know, making judgments and basing all your belief systems on, you know, snippets of data that you then conflate across the entire system and go, this is what we're fighting against, you know. <laughs> um, you know, if, if you're looking at using data or information in any way to inform group behavior or your individual personal dogma or belief system, like just learn the basics of data and data analysis first, mm. you know. Um, so this is kind of where we see, you know, the, the big conspiracy theories springing up from, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Ah, ah. You know, so <laughs> I heard a, there was one the other day. I was, I, I listened to, I listened to all these um, because, well, I'm interested in the logic patterns of things. Cause when you see that, you see the, where the cultural flaws are and you can see where they're coming and how they're coming out of an economic system and how they've been designed by the powerful to make us all into these just moral idiots, <laughs> you know, uh, so, so someone's, so I, I heard someone go, you know, like, like, yes, they found a fact. It's like, yeah. Okay. So Bill Gates and Fauci, um, you know, ah, oh, they, um, they were both involved in this project together, like 10 years ago. Oh, what a coincidence. And I'm like, what, hang on. How is that a coincidence? You know, they're both high level people with an interest in, in public health. 
<laughs> um, that's about the extent of it. So of course they're going to come into each other's sphere of influence. How is it a coincidence? That, so I'm like, so what's the coincidence there, bros? The coincidence is like, you don't like these people and they had a conversation once. <laughs> ah, there, the smoking gun. You know, it's just that the idiocy of, of taking one snippet and conflating it right across. You know, you just, just try and do a YouTube search on feminism and the first, you know, the first hundred things you're going to get is like, I don't know, some poor person who, they don't really know their stuff and they end up like, you know, yelling like silly things, like some poor woman is, you know, she's just over it and she's yelling stupid things. She's not making any sense. And of course she gets owned by some, you know, smooth, logical, rational person. And it's, ah, ha, ha. and they have like a, I can't remember the, the letters that it's, it, I keep, what is S S J S J W or something? Yeah, social justice warrior. Like there's mm. an abbreviation for it. And yeah. SJW gets owned by a by, you know, a, a proper thinking, you know, rational white male. Boom. <laughs> done. You know, <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you know, that's that's one person, man. And you could probably find a million like that. It doesn't mm. mean that it's a it's this sort of junta that's been organized by George Soros or something. You know, because mm. you could, you saw an interview with him once where he said something that could be taken two ways, and it's like, aha, <laughs> it's him. Ah, oh, he's funding like so. He, poor, but I mean, he puts money into you know, uh, Black Lives Matter or whatever, and it's like, ah, this is this is it. It's like a, it's cultural Marxism, and it's a conspiracy, and it's kind of like, ah, oh, like you, your analysis of that needs to be a bit deeper. You know, that whole idea of cultural Marxism, you know, like, I don't think people quite see that for what it is. So in the context of what I was talking about with this uh, kind of this neoliberal social fragmentation, you know, if you look at it from that point of view, it's like, yes, well, there, there is, has been a big wealth transfer. And, um, you know, it, it's been in the interests of the powerful um, to get anybody who's interested in wealth redistribution you know, to focus more on policing aspects of everyday culture and people's language, you know, rather than going, uh, uh, where, where did, where did that bailout money go to? <laughs> that was trillions. Where did it go? <laughs> oh, you're like for corporate retreats and bonuses and holidays for the, the people who smashed the system. Oh, and, and to pay for their lawyers. So none of them have to go to jail. Um, <laughs> you know, and to like refloat their crappy companies so that they can do it all over again. Oh, we're going to bundle together toxic bloody rent, you know, um, futures now. <laughs> so we're going to bundle that together and we're going to, you know, reinflate the whole thing and bring it down and suck another trillion out and then get bailed out again. And it's like, oh, Jesus, really? You know, uh, and that's where people need to be looking. Not like we need to be looking up, not sideways and policing each other's behaviour. Um, yeah, no, I think I think that's the, I definitely resonate with all that. And I, I guess so. It begins with this idea of critical thinking, and, and it's interesting mm. in the sense that um, you know you're, we're talking about these these um, conspiracy theories, but what they come from is just, I guess, a human's kind of we're just pattern recognition machines, you know. Yeah. Um, and I guess. Um, in, in moving it back to the, the Indigenous um, and your book, Sand Talk, you know, you're mm. talking about actually 
yes, we recognize that, but maybe there's a different way yeah. of, of, of well, using that, 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 that patterns and, and, and that way of thinking. Critical thinking is no good if it's fragmented thinking. You know, right. you know it, critical thinking without systems thinking is, is stupid. Like it's just, it's, it's pointless. And a lot of, and you know, yeah, a, a lot of um, social sciences have gone that way. So is that the difference the between, um, between the way we look for patterns? It, it's a lack of systems thinking. And, and is it yeah. when we bring in the systems thinking, is that what takes us back to the kind of indigenous wisdom? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's, about, it's about that individual versus communal way of thinking. You know, if, if you're not seeking truth in the aggregate by listening to as many stories as you can, diverse stories, you know, within your social group and make sure there's so many different points of view there. If you're not looking for truth in the aggregate there and then looking for the pattern in all those points of view, um, you know, with a real systemic kind of lens on things. If you're not looking for patterns like that, you shouldn't be looking at all because mm. all you're going to end up with is confirmation bias. Mm. And, and that's where people should be. If, if they're doing data analysis, they should probably at least read the first chapter of, of a data analysis textbook <laughs> or first year bloody idiots or whatever. Mm. At least read the first chapter because you're, oh my God. Like, you know, the bell curve, mm -mm -mm, this one here. Yeah. It's like, check that out because everything in this system is on a bell curve mm. and uh, what basic st statistical i mean a basic statistical thing is that you know the the tail ends of that distribution they're interesting but you can't make any predictions or scalable ideas from the tails of that distribution mm. you know you you need to look at the aggregate thing here. And I, I think that's where it aligns with indigenous uh, ways of doing things. Um, you know, organization governance, um, uh, prediction, you know, mm. um, sustainability practices, all those sorts of things. As you look at the aggregate in the middle, that's where you're going to find the, the patterns and you have to include the tails in there because they're important, but do not just focus on one of those tails, mm. you know, no, I think you know, that's so really there, there's, a, there's a dude who's written a book now and he, you know, he was a principal, you know, in, a, in, a, in the United States in, in a very low socioeconomic background school that was failing, you know, and so he came in, he was a white male principal in a school that was like all African-Americans and all of the staff was female African-American teachers, you know, and all the students were, um, or African-American students with a majority of female students. And he, he did a really good job and he turned the school around and he empowered everybody. And he like, he distributed his, his authority, like, um, you know, across the entire system so that everybody had agency and lots of leadership that was, you know, hierarchically did everything right. And the school rose and it was doing really well. And he ended up the, the board, the school board sacked him purely because he was a white male and he wasn't representative of the community, you know, um, that, and that's on, on one tail of that distribution mm. where, where someone like that would be disadvantaged by, you know, mm. that kind of thing. Um, he's then conflated that right across and written an entire book about, you know, um, he switched. He used to be on, on the left side of politics. Now he's on the extreme right. And, um, 
you know, railing against minorities and, and or not against minorities, but against, you know, um, you know, any sort of critical thinking coming out of minority groups or identity politics and political correctness. And he's getting a lot of readership and a lot of bitter people who, you know, have either been affected like that or know someone who has, or is afraid that that's going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's just, it's not helping, you know, okay. That's terrible. What happened to him, but that's not the, the thing I've got plenty more to talk on, on that kind of, uh, yeah, well, it's not, uh, especially with men's, um, men's issues. You know, a, a lot of these, a lot of men's rights groups have, have, um, have just, you know, exponentially multiplied, uh, at the moment. And I, I think it, it's, it's a real concern, you know, the ideological focus of a lot of these things. Yeah. I think it's an important point to touch on Tyson. Cause you know, a lot of men that, that I guess come into, into, into our, group oftentimes they're, they're very aggrieved by maybe a court process around a divorce mm. or um and and now you know they, they feel that they've been hard done by with with access to, to children and, and it could very well be true in their particular case but maybe again we need to look at the, the middle of that bell curve perhaps yeah that, you know yeah you know I, I think on the tail of the distribution you get you get some guys who get really smashed you know um and i think you know if so even if, let's say the majority of cases, you know, will lean towards the mother, you know, with um, uh, child custody and, and things like that and making sure that that mother's got enough resources, you know, because she's had to be out of the workforce, et cetera, to raise those kids, making sure she's got enough resources to be able to, you know, get through the next couple of decades of her life. Um, you know, let's say it is skewed towards that. Um, so, so isn't that good? Uh, like, do you have a daughter? Uh, would you be interested in her being protected by a system that's actually doing that? Um, you know, which in many cases it's not. So, I mean, you and I were talking before about you asking where I live and I'm like, well, I'm, you know, I'm 3000 miles away from home, you know, and I'm 3000 miles away from home because my woman, um, you know, has a child with a, with a former partner and they have 50, 50 custody you know? Um, and so we have to be for the next, um, at, at least five years, we have to be near wherever he wants to be. We have to follow him wherever he chooses to live. We have to live there. So right now I'm living in Melbourne and I haven't seen my family in about a year and a half. Um, <laughs> mm. it's, it's hard, including, um, my children from a previous marriage you know, who are grown now. And, and I have two new babies now. Uh, one's one year old, one's three year old, mm. you know, and it's the center of your existence, mm. you know, as a man. Um, and I guess if you want to get back to talking about the book, we could, um, you know, it, it's called sand talk. And um, I guess we could try and I don't know if you want to screen. Ah, no, this is a podcast, but yeah, I, yeah. yeah I was going to try and show you a, um, some things, but there, there are a lot of um, the symbols in the book, uh, which is, you know, done by drawing things in the sand. It's an ancient practice here to get across ideas um, that show, you know, those relationships and the structures of kinship systems mm. that ensure the centrality of that mother and child. Mm. You know, so there's one symbol, it's called the uh, archaeologists, paleontologists, they call it... Um, you know, scientists all around the world, that they call it the circumpunct. 
Well, it, if there's a way of, because um, I probably will, we'll, we'll put this up so that people can see yeah. as well. So if oh, there's a way I mean, of sharing the screen. Um, oh, well, look, this that? one's, um, yeah, yeah, it's been disabled by you, I think. That's, okay, well, I can share it on my side. I'm just not sure okay. how to allow it's, you access. It's fine. But I can just describe this one. This is easy. It's, okay. it's, just, it's a circle with a, a, a dot in the middle of it. And maybe that's the, the only thing we need to look at. Well, actually, so, I can... Made you the host for a second. So try now. You, you should be able to actually um, okay, share. Yeah. Great. So there you can see a few of those. But basically, and I guess this, this isn't going to be a visible thing for everybody. Some people will just be listening to it. So I'll just describe this one. It's important. Hmm. It's just a circle with a spot in the middle of it. And it's all around the world. Because in the end, you know, this idea of indigenousness, it, it's something that we all have. It's something we're all born with. And I believe quite strongly that we all share a common cultural origin. We all share a co common origin uh, as human beings. And, and so that's why you find this same symbol all around the world. And, uh, you know, uh, the people who sort of dig these things up, etc., you know, all your archaeologists, they're sort of baffled by what it could mean. Um, but, you know, there are a lot of living cultures who still carry the meaning of this. And ours is one of them here. So we know what that means. And it's, it's quite simply, it's the center of any sustainable society. Um, it's the central relationship that all other relationships come into and out of and feed into and serve. You know, your society has to serve this. And that, that, symbol simply means mother and child um and mother and child is the center of of our being of our ways of being it's if you're a human being that's that's what that's what you do um yeah so i can just show you that, that that's enough to see or to hear described because uh, that's everything and that's you want to know what your role as a man is and what your identity is is that you came out of that you were the dot in the center of the circle and you will return to that and come through there again. It's in your interest to ensure that that remains the center of things and is the most important, most cherished, most supported thing. Um, and that's, that's the center of indigenous cultures and it's been the center of all human cultures for 99.999% of all of our shared history. There is this recent blip of a handful of idiots who've, you know, they've fractured our identities, our cultures, our, our lands, our ways of being, our everything. Uh, they've fractured our families. They've rebuilt them to suit their image of things, uh, to suit their control of massive populations. Mm. You know, um, it's a handful of people that have done it. It's, you know, it's just a, like an aristocracy you know, and um, it's not how we're supposed to be. And they kind of, as men, we're the half of the population that is, um, that is given, you know, rewards for keeping that system in place. So a lot of people from their point of view would call that the patriarchy. Mm. But really patriarchy is just, um, is one small mechanism. It's one mechanism that's highly damaging for both men and women and children. Um, 
it's just one part, one mechanism that supports a, a larger sort of global structure. Um, and it basically divides us against, you know, this, this most important relationship that we have, which is our relationship as men with our, with our women, you know, with our partners, but also with our grandmothers, you know, our nieces, our daughters, our um, sisters, our cousins, you know, our aunties, our mothers. And in our way, you, um, you have more than one mother <laughs> in Aboriginal culture. Um, and I think in most human cultures, you know, before the, the family unit got shrunk down to, you know, this, this kind of Roman slash Viking model of, of, a, of a small family unit with a pater familias, mm. you know, a, um, a, a male head of the family that mm. has power of life and death over everybody in the household. Mm. You know, that's a wrong model. But that's what we were lured with. It's like you support our big power structure and we'll allow you to have a miniature version of that in your life where you can exert power and influence over others, mm. you know, and it's bent what we are as men into something else. You know, we've always been very dynamic, um, mobile, you know, uh, creatures. So my woman and I, from our first week together, you know, um, we spent that week around a fire and, and we looked at our behaviors there and just went, this was the model for our life together. You know, you know, she keeps the fire going and she makes everything happen there at the center. Um, I bring things to the fire. I bring the wood, <laughs> you know, she goes out too. We both go out, but, um, she makes the decisions around the fire. You know, I'll also tend the fire, but, um, but she has the say around in that space. That's her camp. And um, I bring things in, <laughs> you know, I bring it's the such a beautiful um, picture you're painting Tyson. And what I'm realizing just in this short time is having viewed that symbol in the sand, the rest of what you're saying seems to land so much more deeply in me because I've got this image in my head of just a simple circle with a dot in the middle. And then everything else you're saying just seems yeah. to be bouncing off that and making so much more sense. Yeah. And I guess that's the beauty of it, right? We orbit around that. You know, yeah. we, come, we come out of that mm. and then we spend our lives orbiting around it, making it strong. Mm. That's what gives our life meaning. That's what gives our life purpose. And mm. it's beautiful. Like it makes you want to cry when you really think about it because mm. you, Oh, and there's something about, that's why it's called Sand Talk, the book, because it's such an important, you know, the, the, uh, an image, a symbol, like, and it can be so simple, but it can just carry terabytes mm. of data that, that has intense meaning and, and that it can, you know, there's so much more in that than I could write in 10,000 words, you know. Um, there's more in the images in that book than there is in the rest of the book put together. Yeah, I can imagine, but how do we... You know, for the average man living in Melbourne and going to his nine to five job in the CBD mm. every day, mm. how do we connect? Like we talked about the first step, perhaps being, you know, understanding statistics and critical thinking, but kind of what's next? Because if I show that guy this symbol and try to say what you just said, it's probably not, not going to land with him coming from me as much, you know. It's like, how do, we give, how, how do we give these, these men... Easier well, yeah, I, I guess you, you, you find where, where that's engraved in a rock in Europe somewhere. And mm. you go than that picture, you find where it's in the Middle East. You find where, because it's all around the world. Mm. And you go, look, this is our root culture. And this is what it means. Mm. Um, this is what we 
as males, as a species, you know, uh, we have a certain role in this custodial species mm. that we have, and it's a strong role and it's not what you think, you know, um, <laughs> you know, we're, we're here, you know, like primarily to support women and we have, and we have, and in that kind of free ranging thing that we have and the gifts and the powers that we've been given to fulfill that role, you know, um, there's, there's such joy and agency and power just in that, you know, but also in living under the checks and balances that stop us from being able to use that power to exert our dominance and will over others, you know? Um, and so that's, that's another thing like, um, you know, traditionally in human cultures, particularly in indigenous cultures, uh, your female in-laws have a lot of power over you and they, they prevent you from being able to dominate your wife. Mm because she's got three generations of women around her. <laughs> Isn't that interesting though, Tyson, yeah. because in, um, in, in the modern culture that we live in, like the mother-in-law is kind of seen as this devil, you yeah. know, it's like, like she's the this, that yeah. and the other, you know, insert expletive yeah. and, and, and somebody to be avoided at all costs rather than listen well, to. Well, I, I think that's, it's a good, um, you know, the disrespect part aside, it, mm. it is a, I think that's an instinctive model and it's actually very close because we have an avoidance relationship. We're not allowed to speak to our mother-in-laws right? in our culture. Um, we have an avoidance relationship. And if we, um, so every Aboriginal language is really two languages. There's the main language that everyone speaks and then there's the avoidance language. So every word has a replacement word. <laughs> so when you do have to speak to her, you have to speak this completely other language. You're not allowed to hand her anything. You know, you, you have to hand her things through a third party, you know, and, but at the same time, um, she has this authority over you mm. and she can have you killed if you do the wrong thing <laughs> to the daughter. And it's, ah, oh, it's a really, I mean, yeah. So I think instinctively we have this, aversion to wanting to have this relationship with our mother-in-laws. The and difference is respect. Yeah. That's basically the difference it. is respect to, to sit there and disrespect her as this harpy and, and to hate and loathe her and all that sort of thing. That's just a, a twist, a twisted sort of, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. But the, the base idea, that base instinct that we have in our gut, which we should try and follow in more pure ways as men, you know, our base instinct is to avoid her um, and to, you know, respect her. But she's one of the checks and balances that are in place uh, to, to prevent um, us going into excesses driven by narcissism. Mm. Um, and, and we are prone to narcissism, you know, all humans. We have that seed in us. And your society and the culture around you is supposed to be structured um, in a way. It's supposed to be structured by laws in your small community that that basically constrain your narcissism yeah <laughs> would you define narcissism in that way for a man as just a, an overabundance of masculine energy um no i don't think so i, I just think it's misdirected masculine energy misdirected yeah. yeah there's nothing wrong with masculine energy at all you know it's, mm. it's there for a reason mm. you know and when we're living in our true pattern and purpose it works really well Mm. Uh, it has to be brought into balance from time to time. And that's why you have elders and that's why you have, um, you know, powerful women around you. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that's another thing is that um, in this, in this system, 
where we've been placed as this pater familias over our, our household, um, you know, which is eroded lately. And so we don't know what we're supposed to do. Um, yeah, in this system, we it also denies women the agency of violence. So it's kind of it's um it's mutated and twisted. Not just masculinity, but femininity is the main thing. It's it's changed femininity. Western femininity and civilized femininity is nothing like what our actual woman is like. An actual femininity is like. It's not this mincing throw like a girl limp wristed thing you know women are not weak you know i i wish i wish we could sit down with some of my aunties who have been raised outside of that that um that model of femininity because you would be like oh my god i wouldn't mess with any of these ladies you know and it's not about size and strength because i mean you know uh, I've, I've i've got that many female relatives who are, you know, would only come to your shoulder and are really skinny and bony. And you, you'd look at them and think, oh, I'll just, you know, sweep the leg and she's done. <laughs> but no, bros, <laughs> she yeah. would murder you. Yeah. She would murder you. I have a niece. Um, she's the best fighter in the community. Um, and she's, she's famous for like, um, if anybody messes with any woman in the family, She'll go straight to that house and she'll call out and she'll call out the six best men there. Yeah. She'll want the six best fighters. I want your relatives. I want your family. I want the biggest, strongest men you've got. Bring them out. And she one by one beats the shit out of every single one of them, drops them in the street. And they're trying, you know, because they don't have this kind of chivalry thing. of, You know, we respect women, you know. And we respect the agency of violence they bring. So there's not this kind of, oh, you know, no, 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 you never rough a woman up or kind of anything like that. That doesn't mean, you know, domestic violence, you, you flog them up and dominate them. But, you know, if a woman wants, is going to fight you, you, you show her the respect. Show her the respect of, of, you know, of at least giving it a shot. And, and these guys will do their best shot and she will slaughter them all one after another, six big men, twice her size, and she'll drop them straight in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, you know, there, there's an agency there that women have and have always had. And, and when you look at that and you look at everything else, all of our stories, our old stories where you see, you know, women are, you know, it, the funniest stories is like, you know, is, is these older women who like really like younger men and, and they're kind of like, yeah, no, nah, ah, so oh, I'm sick of this husband. Now I'm going to get another one. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm going to have, I, I think I want that one there, you know, come here. <laughs> You're my husband now. You, you're gone. Um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of agency and you see that there's this, there's this choice going on. I mean, anthropologists tend to focus on the idea of old men marrying younger women you know, in our culture, but they tend to ignore that it's the other way is there too. Right. And the idea is that a young person, you know, with their first marriage, um, that they should be being guided by somebody with experience mm. uh, through, you don't want to be with another young person to try and figure out how to navigate <laughs> those intense relationships. You know, mm. you want some older person who's not going to be bothering you too much. Well, and then and then added to that, and then, and then these two young people 
bring a child into the world, you know? Yeah. And, and then, then they just, they tear each other apart. They tear yeah. the child apart. And then the kid grows up and the cycle goes on. Mm. It's like, no, your first relationship, you know, and, and it sounds like pedophilia, you know, in this framing, you know, this civilized framing. And I, I kind of feel nervous talking about it, but mm. you know, you, your first partner should be someone who's older male or female, you know, mm. and that's the way it's always been that also limits some population mm. growth mm. you know, because there's not a lot of children coming from those unions. Mm. So you have a sustainable population growth as well mm. coming out of that. Um, yeah. So Tyson, yeah. Let, let me, can, can I, can I take you back a little? Cause um, one thing that, that, that I'm really interested in is when you talk about these kind of five, um, I guess, layers of Indigenous wisdom, I guess five mm. kind of mind states in a way. Um, I'd love just for the, for, the, for the benefit of those listening to kind of dig into that a little bit um, because I found it personally fascinating. Yeah. Well, um, you know, I like to map that on, on your hand, you know. Um, oh, yeah. So if you, I don't know. So if you, I don't know, do that, uh, you know, that Star Trek thing. Yeah. yeah. Live long and prosper. Do, do that one. Yeah, the, um, I, I, don't know, I don't even know if I can do that, bro, but I, but I feel you, yeah. <laughs> so split, yeah, split those those four yeah. fingers in the middle yeah. there. And I guess your first two, the pinky and the other one, yeah. you know, if you just press that into your thigh or onto the desk in front of you or whatever surface yeah. you've got, yeah. you're like, all right, well, let's say that's a, let's call that an emu footprint. Okay. Yeah. And then take the other two fingers, you yeah. know, your index and middle finger, press that down. Yeah. Go, all right, that's a kangaroo footprint. Mm-hmm. And then so you look at that and you go, okay, emu and kangaroo, you know, let's look at that as that's a, a division, you know, in a society of two different groups. Because in our way, you're not allowed to marry anyone from your own side okay. of the tribe or, you know, of that, what they call them, moieties, I think anthropologists call them. You've got to um, marry someone across from the other side. So, you know, um, this simple model, you might say like, so kangaroo people have to marry emu people. So you go across like that. So I guess those two fingers in the middle, you know, the ring finger and the middle finger. Um, so you might look at that as a man and woman so that that, that kangaroo man is marrying across to that emu woman there. And so each of them there has a child that they're responsible for. So, you know, how I said before, you have more than one mum. So like your mother's, your mother's uh, sisters are also your mother's. Mm -hmm. you know, um, but her brothers aren't your father. <laughs> uh, they're just an uncle. But your father's brothers are also your father's. Mm -hmm. You know, so you've got this, uh, if the middle finger here is, you know, the father in this situation, you know, that child there beside him on the index finger, um, you know, that's his, I guess, nephew in the Western way of looking at something, but he's mm -hmm. calling him son because that's his, that's his brother's son, you know? Um, and so anyway, uh, let's start over on the other side with the mother and child, cause that's the center of things, of course. Um, so that little finger and then the, that next one, um, this is how I like to organize these, these things Beautiful. <laughs> around that. Yeah. So if you start with the little finger, that's the child, you know? And so really that's the center of things. That's what all of our attention and resources need to be going into that. Um, so that child, I, I, I like line that the child up in, in this relationship, in this mnemonic, um, with the way of thinking that is uh, kinship. I'm calling it a kinship mind, but you can call it whatever you want. I'm not, I've, I've got small, I haven't capitalized this thing. 
there's no TM. It's just like uh, open source. You do what you like with it. But so you've got this uh, kinship mind. And I've got the child there doing that because that's basically what a child does is it just relates, you know. So for the first years of its life throughout its childhood, a child is just relating. It's not a human being. It's a human relating. It's just and it, coming out of that first relationship with its mother, it just relates. And so basically, as you grow, you establish all these kinship pairs, all these pairs with other people around you. So, you know, um, uncle, niece, you know, grandmother, granddaughter, um, you know, our society is based on these pairs. But there is no separation in Aboriginal culture between um, nature and society. They're one thing. So they're also totemic pairs. Like you saw the husband and wife one already, that totemic pair, you know, it can also it would be something like kangaroo emu, you know. So there's pairs in nature in any ecosystem. There are pairs of things that, that have symbiotic relations. And you have that inside your social system as well, your totemic system. So that child is basically relating. And kinship mind is, is basically the idea that nothing exists on its own. Everything exists only in relation to something else, mm. you know, everything. And if you want to make that the source of your data analysis, you'll do better analysis. Mm. If you understand things as being connected to other things, mm. you know, um, that way you won't see false patterns like, aha, Fauci and, and, and Gates coincidence, you know, <laughs> no, <Nah. laughs> you, you, you know, you, you, you see actual pairs. Um, and yeah, and I, I guess it continues out from there because those pairs connect with other pairs. So that child belongs to, you know, hundreds of different pairs, you know, to places, you know, so they'll have a place with a story that they belong to a special place that they'll be responsible for as they grow, you know, um, you know, maybe it's a patch of Creek where a particular fish breeds or something. Um, maybe it's a grove of trees or a hill or, you know, as several places the child will be connected to through these different relationships and they'll learn knowledge. They'll get knowledge and story about that place and how to care for it. Um, and they'll know that, but then they can exchange that with other people through other pairs. So there's this interaction. It goes through the system. It's basically how a complex system works. It's through that relationality. So once you have that kinship mind and you're forming those pairs, all those little us twos, you know, um, and connecting those up with other pairs and making these exclusive groups and then inclusive groups um, coming out that include non-human entities, plants, animals, all these things, then your thinking is going to be solid. You know, you'll supersize your mind. Mm. Um, so that's that one. It took a long time to go through that, but I think it's the key thing. I'll whiz through the others. So I think of the mother there with that child um, as carrying that idea of um, what I'm calling story mind. And story mind is not just um, like, yes, narrative is powerful. It's, I mean, it's how we make sense of the world. So, you know, your um, brain scientists and cognitive scientists will tell you that there's a part of your brain that they call the storyteller or the narrator. That basically all of the information that comes in, all the data that comes into you, you're arranging it in a story of your life, you know. And so it's the main thing that we use for meaning making. So therefore, anything that you want to memorize, if you make up a story about it, it'll go straight to long-term memory instead of having to go through you know, short-term, mid-term memory through repetition. You know? 
uh, if you're studying for exam, for example. But a story is just a story on its own. Uh, but it's that thing that I was talking about before the aggregate. You know, you need to sit down with people you know, around the fire. Like you need to share stories. Stories coming alongside each other is very powerful. And those stories could contradict each other, but in our culture actually sit very comfortably together because they're both valid points of view. And they could be completely the opposite meaning, but they'll both be truth at the same time. And we're very comfortable with, with that, you know, of having lots of different stories together all at once because the truth is never in one story. It's always in the aggregate. And I think that's part of the sickness of this world now is that everybody thinks their story is the truth and that they need to somehow bend everybody else into their narrative. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's that one. Kinship mind, story mind. And so then you've got the man there, the middle finger, the big daddy. Um, so we'll um, look at his way. We might call it dreaming mind. And dreaming mind is just our, our particular gift as human beings of, um, of being able to use metaphors you know, it's being able to deliberately uh, transform something tangible in the real world into a metaphor and use that. And metaphor is the language of spirit. So we use that metaphor to transfer something across into, a, um, into an abstract space. Uh, when it's in that abstract space, you, you can do things with it. You, know, you can have a series of metaphors that you're manipulating there. And, um, and you know, you can come up with predictions, solutions, uh, that's where you find patterns, you know, that's where you do your data analysis and, and, you know, and really what this is, is a kind of a, a ritual action. So all rituals are basically about, um, you know, uh, turning a phenomenon or a person or an object or a thing or a series of things, you know, into metaphors and dancing or singing or, you know, arranging objects or whatever in a way that's that's creating a metaphorical action and then you bring it back around into the real world you know and that steers your your activity so anyway that's that dreaming mind um and i guess the fourth one there that would be that that man's little nephew there that he 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 grows him up you know so he this fellow's emmet he's the one who grows up he's the uncle who raises that uh, <laughs> that child um and so that boy there, um, we'll be looking at a, a, the mind that I've attached there is what I'm calling ancestor mind. And that's that, um, that's that state, you know, that we might fall into in our yarn here where I suddenly look at the clock and it's, oh my God, like 45 minutes we've been talking. How long does it feel like we've been talking? Like five minutes, 10 minutes? Yeah, it's just, certainly less than yeah. that. Mm. But when you get into your, when do you get into this state, this alpha wave state, like, time just whizzes by, you know, it mm. ceases to have that linear feel to it. Mm. And I guess that's how you know when you're in it, but you're capable of a lot more, you know, it, it, uh, me sitting here before thinking, Oh, what am I going to say in this thing? You know, I'm thinking all that in my mind, in my brain and I can't make sense of it. And I, I it, oh, if I wrote it down and I tried to read off these talking points, you know, I'd be, I'd be all up here. Mm. But if I'm in ancestor mind, it's much more connective. Mm. I'm allowing my, my entire mind that goes throughout my body and then out into the relationships and all the things around me. Um, I'm allowing my mind to be expansive like that and allowing myself to sit in that timeless state, that alpha wave state um, where I'm able to do a lot more. I'm starting know. to understand why 
advanced um, computation. Yeah, but I'm starting to understand why my five-year-old son, um, mm. it's, it's making a lot more sense now in terms of that yeah. relationship. Um, yeah. I look at him as kind of ancestor mind in this way that you're, um, yeah. you're talking about it. It makes sense. So like the other day I was, I, was, I was giving him a bath and he said to me, um, um, is this a dream? And I said to him, what, not, as in having this bath? And he just looked at me and he said, no, 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 the whole thing. Hey, you say, well, you need to talk to some of those West Coast Silicon Valley fellas. Yeah, 100%. Right. Intensely believe that this is all a computer simulation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't have to worry about climate change because when it all falls apart, we can just reboot it. 100%. <laughs> yeah. uh, so there's one more, and it's the thing that you were asking about before was that pattern, seeing the patterns. Right. So your thumb. Uh, so you, you can see there's sort of two sets of laws there, that, that, that emu law and that kangaroo law in those two divisions. But then there's the big continental common law uh, that binds all, all these together. Um, and it's not just continental, it's quite global because everywhere you go, you'll see serpent stories, serpent as a creator, every continent, every culture, even in Europe you know, uh, even into dragon mythologies and stuff like that. So here we call, might call it the rainbow serpent or something. So I think of the thumb like that and I'll wiggle the thumb around like a serpent, you know. And so that's the one I think of for pattern mind because that has the big picture that binds together all the stories and sees all the stories. So, you know, as I go through, uh, like I touch that thumb on each finger and I think about what those things in combination mean, you know. And then I might touch together that, um, that father and the nephew, that uncle and nephew and the thumb together and hold that and then think about what all those kinds of thinking together mean. And then I'll do it with the other ones. And then I might make a fist and think about, well, what's all that all together? And I guess that's how pattern mind works. You know, it's going across the aggregate, um, looking at all the bell and the tails of the distribution and the guy who drew the graph. <laughs> that's, a, that's a stunning, collected, you know, yeah. yeah, that's a stunning depiction Tyson of, of, mm. of, of, of the way it, it all comes together. It's just, it's just beautiful. My, my mind is just bouncing and in, 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 in all the things that I've kind of pieced together in terms of the journey that I've been on. And that, that is such a beautiful mm. summation. It's like, I always talk about kind of following the threads of truth and that just feels like a thread of truth to me, which, um, yeah, which, which is really interesting because um, obviously you talk a lot about yarning in your book. And to me, almost immediately I was taken to this idea of threads we follow and things like that. It just seemed like, it just seems so beautiful. I'm wondering um, for those out there that sort of haven't, haven't read the book, just a, a very quick kind of summation of, of the whole sort of yarning theory. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it, it's the thing that facilitates that story, that story business of an aggregate of stories. You know, uh, most of yarning is, is listening, is deep listening of being able to, um, yes, share your story in a way that's not going on too long, <laughs> you know, um, and it doesn't have to be all in one go. You know, you can do it in fragments and those fragments don't have to be in order. You know, it's a beautiful, big kind of um, jumbled mix of story where everybody's sharing. Um, and it doesn't, there's not this talking stick thing. That's something that was bloody co-opted from Native American culture and, and sanitized and misused by the West. It's not like one person speaks at a time. You know, you'll have overlapping conversations going on. It'll be a vibrant sort of thing. People will be using visual 
uh, cues, nonverbals, acting things out, maybe drawing things in the air or on the ground. Um, and it's not like this people go, oh, it's a circle and everyone has to sit in this perfect circle. You see a lot of that going on, but it's not necessarily like that. Often it's, you know, sort of a scattered group of people. Some people might have their backs <laughs> turned at different times, you know. Um, it's just kind of this mix that goes on and, um, you know, people are coming in and coming out and there's this big sort of sharing of, of stories. Mm. And in the end, there's this kind of loose consensus about what the reality is and what the truth is that honors everybody's story as a foundation and, you know, for the, a big theory or a big model of being that people are coming up with in that yarn. So and then that, uh, that, models, that model's applied then to make predictions, to make decisions, mm. you know, to find solutions, etc. And it's funny, like you have a good laugh as well and you share food and, you know, you do activities together and you might be, some people might be weaving, some people might be painting, you know, etc. Some people. So, so there can be multiple stories, Tyson, sort of happening at, at once in these things, as opposed to kind yeah. of very. It's very. You know, when I, we sit in our men's circles again, you know, with the talking stick, co-opted yeah. or, or not, but you know, there's this kind of idea that there needs to be one, one conversation happening at once. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from you is perhaps that's not necessary. Yeah. And look, we go around the, the circle, and everyone introduces themselves, mm. and it's in in order, you know. So it's like starting at a random point and then, you know, each person, you know, introduces themselves and tells their crappy story and all that sort of thing. <laughs> it, it feels unsatisfying. I don't know. There's something so, like, I don't know. There's a kind of a sense that you're breaking down a hierarchy and that's satisfying because you're in a circle. But then at the same time, uh, why not start with your older men, you know? because really your older men should have the right to speak first and the younger men need to be listening to them, you know, um, you know, why not have, I mean, there's, I mean, there, there is a, an interesting protocol of inside and outside circles that I've seen sometimes of like that you get, um, people who are, are the authority in the group on something, they'll be in the center talking and then there'll be a circle on the outside of people listening, you know, um, and that's, it's kind of, it's not a hierarchy. It's this kind of dynamic subordination mm. that, you know, everybody in a community, knowledge is distributed throughout and everybody knows something, you know, so that child who un understands the knowledge and speaks for that, that hill over there, you know, cause he has that from his mother, you know, if you all go there and his mum's not there, then you'll be looking to that kid, you know, and that kid will be saying what we need to do while we're here mm. and how we need to behave, you mm. know? So suddenly that kid will have a leadership position mm. and everybody will listen to the story from that kid, you know? Um, but then when you move away from that hill and you go to the river, then the woman who speaks for that riverbank on this side of the river, suddenly it'll shift to her, you know? So I guess the top, as the topics in your yarn move around like fish schooling, you know, as you shift into a topic and there might be one or two or three people who have more experience of that topic than anybody else, then those people will sort of move to the center of things and people will listen to them, you know? Um, yeah. And sort of that's how that leadership works. And it's interesting. So even the form of a yarn will do that. But this idea of having a circle that no matter what's going on or what's being spoken about, that everybody's equal all the time and everybody 
has to be heard from start to finish of their rambling monologue. It's just, it's clunky and it's not productive. Mm. Um, so that's not what a yarn is. Although a lot of people will go, we're doing a yarning circle and they'll do that. It's not what it is. You know, that's, um, Seems like it has a bit of feminine energy to it. Like if it was all, you know, this, this sort of idea of a little bit of sort of chaos in there. Um, yeah. As opposed to this very orderly, you speak, stop, you speak, stop. Yeah. Um, which it's, seems a little more masculine. I, but it's imposing a linear structure on a circle, which is just insane to me. And for some reason, <laughs> never and it, always, it. it always goes clockwise. Yeah. So it's, you know, we're bowing to this clock. Yeah. No, and that, that was part of our, how men were, as was part of the process of enslaving men into this salaried bloody servitude that we have. You know, um, they originally put those big town clocks in the center of the town. Yeah. The idea was that it was gifting the entire community this technology so that everybody rich and poor could have access to the time. But it wasn't. It was so the rich could have access to, you know, eight hours of your day exactly at the same time every day. And to be able to divide that into units of value and, um, and enslave you to that. And we do that in these circles. We go around clockwise. Mm. So we're still enslaved to this thing, even though we're trying to break it. Mm. So I mean, at the very least, if you go around the circle, go around in the direction that the sun moves, mm. which is the other way. Mm. And acknowledge that because it at least puts you in place. Mm. To an actual, oh, yeah, that's right. There's something beyond this room we're sitting in. Um, yeah, there's a world out there, you know, a world of, of dynamic cycles that we actually belong to. Mm. Um, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're getting yeah, some. Yeah, you connect if you make uh if you make your if you structure your activities together to be more based on natural systems, which are a lot more and people see it as chaotic, but it's not chaotic. It's 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 dynamic. You know, be dynamic. You know, do some biomimicry, copy the systems that natural systems that you see, and try not to impose grand narratives of bloody food chains and apex predators and um the fittest survive and all that stuff over these these are false hierarchies that don't belong in nature you know we don't evolve through fitness bloody you know the fittest dominating that's not that wasn't even what darwin said he was more into a co-evolution oh 100 percent i've heard symbiosis in communities yeah. yeah so um yeah <laughs> it's all a lot easier and look hey I don't know. I'd really encourage men to just to really look at all those stories and listen to those um, SJWs as they get owned on YouTube by somebody who's more logical or whatever. Like, just listen to them for a minute. Mm. You know, like I've learned a lot in this lockdown. You know, I, I had to, you know, I, it's really important to me that I'm doing an equal share in the house work. You know, even if I'm I'm out doing my job and, you know, five days a week and breadwinning. And even if I have to, I mean, I have to commute like six hours usually a day. So it's like this double shift. It's awful. But I want to come home and I want to make sure I'm doing half of the domestic stuff. But I'm an idiot. I divided it up into these bloody units of time mm. and this amount of chores. And I will do this half. I will do the kitchen and the cooking and I will do that and I will put in X amount of hours with the children and therefore I'll be doing 50% bullshit. You know, you can't imagine the cognitive load 
on a woman. And that's what I'm starting to understand with the lockdown. My little daughter keeps coming in and out. I can't even think straight. The cognitive load that that's on you as a parent and, and as a, usually women with, with, with these little things that are attached to their bodies 24-7. And even when they're not there, even then when they're apart from them, there's that attachment. You know, I didn't even understand that. I thought I was doing half. Mm. I'm not doing shit. I'm not doing 5% because the cognitive load that's on her 24-7 is insane. And I'm experiencing a fraction of that in lockdown and it's nearly killing me. it's such Um, a fascinating thing tyson because what you there's actually research which has come out recently around lockdown and exactly this topic Mm. and when asked men giving a percentage of what they contribute to the household will give a certain number and Mm. you ask a woman who's literally obviously living in the same house to give a percentage of what the man's contribution is it's always vastly vastly lower than that so there's a There's a yeah. total, um, and I don't ah. think it's, I don't think there's, there's malice or anything there. It's just, yeah. it is. you think you're giving, like, you, you just yeah. describe oh, that. We'd, we'd have this, we'd, we'd have these arguments and I, I think, no, I am fucking empirically right. You know? Yeah. empirically. You're, you're right. telling me I've done nothing today, you know, and that you've fucking done everything. I'm like, you haven't changed one. How many nappies you changed today? Nah. Yeah. Me, I changed 15 nappies today. I mean, you changed nothing. Don't be telling me I did nothing here. I've been doing the bulk of this work here, but no. <laughs> she is frazzled and ragged, you know. The the it, it, it's a it's a constant demand on her, you know, and a small percentage of that demand from them emotionally and etc. You know, has shifted to me, and it's nearly broken me, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm just like no, nah, I've I've just and I can't apologize to her enough. I can't um, acknowledge her enough. Now I'm just like, oh man, I, I don't know anything, um, you know. And to me, it's always been academic before. So when when I, I, I had this divorce a few years back, you know, um, the only lawyer I can afford I could afford was this this dude who he was one of these men's rights activists. <laughs> How did that work out for you? Yeah. Well, he was, we ended up arguing a lot. Like most, I had to pay him by the hour to bloody argue with him <laughs> about men's rights, you know? Cause, and he's like trying to encourage me to like, um, you know, leave this woman with nothing and to go, because men, you know, we get unfairly thing and I'm here to bloody reverse that and turn the tables around for men. And he's trying to encourage me to really sting. And I'm like, no, 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 you know, whatever she needs, that's, that's what I'm going to do, you know? Mm-hmm. With, yeah, we don't get along. But that's, you know, she's like put her whole life into these kids. I'm, you know, of course, I'm going to do whatever I can. Um, yeah, no, I'm happy to take on the debt. I'm happy to, um, to you know, give whatever she needs, whatever percentage, even if it seems unfair to you. I don't care. That's what she's earned that. She deserves that. Mm. And he's like, he was, he was enraged. And he was talking about how men are, are ripped off and, and everything. And I'm like, hang on, like statistically we own like 90% of the wealth in the world is owned by men. You know, women do two thirds of the work <laughs> and they get like something like a quarter of the total salaries paid, you know, goes to, goes to women, but they do two thirds of the work on the planet. So, you know, don't, don't be, don't be giving me that son. <laughs> and that, that was my lawyer. 
anyway, eventually he did what he was supposed to do and just drew up the goddamn documents and got it done. But uh, so to me, like, I don't know, that was a long way around saying to me, it's always been academic um, around that, but until the lockdown and in the lockdown, I, I think I, I've understood more about what it is that women have to do. And it's not, it's not about the amount that they have to do even, even though they do so much more than I'd even imagined. It, it's more, it's like I said, it's that cognitive load. It's that baby brain that's like enforced on them. That, you know, even when they're away from the kids, the kids are like, are taking up 80% of their, their mental space. Mm. You know, wow, man. Um, it's, it's like, you know, how are you going to support someone like that in an economy where they're expected, you know, oh, it's equality. So they have to pull their own weight. You know, it's, you know, any woman has the opportunity to do as well as any man. Bullshit. You know, they're just laboring under so much more. So I'm not interested in equality. You know, I'm, I'm interested in liberation, you know, for men and women from this insanely skewed system, you know, that needs to be sorted out. We need to be able to find out who we are as men and return to some kind of workable masculinity, you know, that's not based on serving the interests of some fucking overlord sitting in a castle somewhere, you know, um, and, and like, you know, policing half the population for him and then policing each other by calling each other faggots down the pub. If we, you know, not doing the masculine thing or we're not doing, you need to control your woman, mate, you know, all that stuff. Like we're doing the work of the powerful for them. They get to sit up there. They don't even have to police us. We're doing it ourselves, mm. you know, and we've taken it hook, line and sinker, you know, be a man, be a real man. Don't be somebody's lackey. Don't be somebody's bloody policeman. <laughs> be a man, support your women, you know, honor your grandmother, honor, honor your mother, honor your aunties, you know, be in the world. Um, you know, eventually things will turn around and, and we'll, we'll, undomesticate ourselves as men and women and try and start to find out what we're really supposed to be like. Cause women don't throw like that. <laughs> Not naturally. That's if you know a woman who throws like, like you throw with your left, then, you know, that's a woman who's, I mean, can you imagine what it would take to take a wild person, a strong wild person who's born that way and actually twist and domesticate them into somebody who can't even throw properly. Can't, can't throw a punch properly because they think their hands are like this, like they've just been twisted and crippled up by this harness of femininity that is not what a woman is. And us, we've been turned into these horrendous pig dogs and idiots. Um, we've been mutated into this, you know, this domestication is a horror show. And, and we need to escape out of our feedlots and just, you know, get out there and see which way the sun actually goes and follow that for a minute. Take a few breaths, try and figure out what the hell we're supposed to be. Holy cow, man, you're punching me right in the chest. I just, <laughs> uh, I, you know, yes is all I can say to that, really. Yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing, man, and I've got to ask you, you're, you have this beautiful line of kind of humour which runs through all this. And to yeah. me, I think that's part of um, 
part of the process, you know, to be able to, to, to see all this heaviness in the world, but to be able to hold it kind of lightly um, and to be able to, to, to laugh all the way through it. And, um, you know, there's a question for me which sort of says, how the hell do you do that, brother? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's all funny. I mean, it's, it's, what we're laboring under is so ridiculous that if you can step back from it for a minute, you, you have to laugh because it's all just, it's all so stupid. It's just silly. And you've got to laugh and, and have a laugh about it. Mm. And, um, you know, I mean, that's what humor is, is getting another angle on something, is, um, you know, looking at something in a new way. And it's, it's medicine bringing, too, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's bringing together two ideas that have never come together in your head before, basically. Okay. So sometimes it's just bringing a new context to something or a new lens. And, um, and what that is, it's, it's the, you get a rush of um, really powerful chemicals in your brain when you connect things up. That's your genetic reward for learning. Mm. And, you know, it, and it's, it's when you do, when you do a, a really powerful one, the, the rush of pleasure, chemical pleasure is, is so intense that it makes you laugh out loud. And that's what a joke is. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, down the pub, this, this forced laugh because we want to do it together, but instead we're going, here's one for you lads. So wonder woman, right? She's lying naked on, on the, on the, on the top of a building and Superman flies over. Right. And he sees her down there and he goes, Whoa, <laughs> and, you know, it's like, Oh, no, and, and that that's <laughs> yeah. like it's like it's this 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 weird patriarchy that we're enslaved to, you know, it's even co-opted like the most important thing, which is laughter and, and fun and bonding around laughter to the point where we've twisted that as well into this soulless, joyless, bloody mockery. Fuck that, you know. I don't do that. I'm a real man. I want to actually laugh about things that are funny. I want to laugh because I'm learning about stuff and I'm putting things together that I hadn't put together before. I want to see the absurd and the ridiculous in the absurd, ridiculous structures that we're living in. And, <laughs> you know, and laugh about it, particularly if you can't do anything about it. If you have no agency, no control, and you're trapped in it, that's even funnier. And, and that's how you survive it because um, it is shifting and it will shift. You know, this, this 10 years of depression that we're about to come, we're coming into a decade long global depression and um, you're going to have to laugh through it. And we're going to have to actually form groups of males like we're supposed to naturally, you know, who are um, healthy together throughout this getting each other through it, supporting each other, but not just, yeah, mate, you know, are you okay? Tell us if you're okay. Tell us if you're not okay. Are you okay, mate? Yeah, she'll be right, mate. She'll be right. Not that shit. Like, you know, actual real yarning, real laughing, real learning together, sharing stories, you know, about how we've, we've managed to find a hack in this system to be able to support and honour the women around us. <laughs> you know, because um, you do need to find hacks because the entire system is built on another way of doing things. Um, it's that creativity that we have as males that, that that's what masculinity is. You know, it's a creativity and, and a way of being in the world that's at once separate and together. You know, um, 
it, it's it's separate and it's individual but then it's also profoundly related and i mean you look at our genetic i mean all the genetic studies that have been done of people like most of your ancestors are women people go what how does that work well that that works in that most men throughout human history in the history of our species have not had the right to breed most men don't get to become fathers mm. in our species you know because women are very selective <laughs> you know they're guarding our gene pool and they're making sure that it's that it's stimulated and vigorous and they're being yeah. very selective about who they choose to breed with i actually you, you heard... don't you don't have the right to procreate and yeah. you don't have the right to to lord it over you know whatever seed comes out if you're honored with the role of, of being able to assist with the nurturing and bring things in and support that process, then, you know, you know, you're a good man. Um, if you're on and every single one of us, whether we breed or not has a role in honoring that process and nurturing that it does take a whole village to raise a child, not two fucking people, or in most cases now one person struggling to fulfill the role of an entire village for a poor kid or a bunch of kids even, you know, you can't do it. It's got to be all together. You know, if, if you and I were in the same men's group, it'd be like, you know, you'd be like an uncle. You know, if we had a men's group of say 12 fellas, you know, you're all uncles for my daughter and for my son, you know, and, and you're in their lives and I'm in your lives. I'm uncle for your kids, you know, and, and, and we're bonding together like that. And in that aggregate of all those stories and skills and wisdom and different ways of caring all together, then we provide that village that the child needs. How the hell are our sons supposed to grow up to learn men, learn how to be men unless they're seeing many different diverse male role models that they're profoundly connected to in a vibrant community. That's what a men's group needs to be. A men's shed. <laughs> Yes, there's spaces we need to go off to and, and figure out our business so that we've got something productive to bring back um, to our family. Yep, we do need that. But it's not a place to retreat and tell our stories about how shitty women are and, and how the system's rigged against us and how, you know, everybody hates us now because we have penises. <laughs> all right, get that off your chest at the start. <laughs> and then, you know, start to actually figure out what it is to be a man. <laughs> very beautiful very beautiful um you know man before i let you go um i just want to um sort of in my role as, as as in my meditation guide mode um i had the opportunity to listen to the meditation that you gave which is on the on on the web page there the dream walk and um yeah. honestly it just blew me away um and so firstly thank you so much for that gift um, but secondly, could you talk a little bit about the, the, the role of the practice of meditation in all this? Mm. Um, yeah, or well just, I, so, you know, mindfulness, all that mindfulness stuff that's going on, you know, it, it's always this, um, sort of sanitized, you know, like the, the civilization we live in likes to take things from places, but to take it away from its context and strip it of its, all of its spiritual significance and the energetics and the knowledge and, and the place and everything else and make it this 
it, it tries to value add to something almost by taking away what's really valuable um, and to package it and market it and make it this scalable thing. And that's what mindfulness is. So I, I'd ask people to be attentive about that. Be mindful of how, you know, um, potentially disconnecting mindfulness uh, can be in the, in the paradigm that you're being presented with it. And to, you know, in your meditations, to make sure you're doing that kinship mind thing, which is what I tried to do with that dream walk, which was to, um, you know, uh, be able to see yourself as, as a being that's connected. You know, it's not about all about you. You know, it's about getting out of yourself, taking your eye off yourself and more connecting into the relationships around you and seeing how far they go. And they are limitless, your relations. You know, um, and they go out to non-human entities that are also sentient and worthy of your respect. You know, uh, so it's it's being able to be uh, connected to and accountable to all of your relations. Um, yeah, connection and accountability. I mean, that's what masculinity really is about. So yeah, that dream walk was really, I think, about um, about trying to, um, I don't know. Um, infiltrate that idea of mindfulness, you know, w w with some more place-based and relational kind of uh, ways of being. Um, I think that's why it has a profound effect on you, you know? Yeah. 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 Uh, it's something that I'm going to return to often that one. Um, it really struck a chord. It, it sat with me. Even the next morning I was still kind of there. Yeah. Well, well, hopefully it'll, it's just, it's, it's got those little viral, uh, germs and ideas in it that'll extend out into your other practice anyway, mm. you know, and you'll do your thing in your way with your story, mm. but, be, but you won't be constrained by previous limits that you had on your story. You'll be able to expand it out, hopefully, mm. and build things that are so much bigger and greater than that, that initial little dream walk, you know, because um, yeah, there's no limit to it. No, thank you. I'm just before we close off, man, I'm, I'm going to just, a couple of the guys sent me in some questions to ask you. So I'm just going to make sure we've probably covered some of them off anyway, but I just want to make yeah, sure yeah. <clears throat> I give them an opportunity to get aired if they are, um, if they are different. Um, there's one here about, um, he says for, for men, which is most of us um, who are ignorant about, you know, indigenous cultures, how do we even start addressing this? Like what's this, what's step one? Um, I, I, I kind of feel like we've covered it. Yeah. Okay. Know? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Just, yeah. just, just in that, you know, I mean, yeah. Uh, first of all, stop putting this idea of indigenousness as this other, this exotic other, because when you can see where it is in yourself and the fact that every single human being is born indigenous, but is then, progressively domesticated throughout its life you know some more than others it's something that we struggle with too you know um it's why we have such trouble surviving in this system because it's because we're still resisting it mm. we're still trying to retain something human about ourselves and that is something that this language and this system calls indigenous you know um yeah i i, I think it's about trying to recover what there is about you that is still human and to build on that, build on the foundations of that. 
mm. follow those patterns because there's still, there's always, no matter how domesticated you are, there are always fragments left and you can, um, you can see the pattern in that part and the pattern in the part is the same as the pattern of the whole. So you can recreate it for yourself and build it for yourself. So what I'm at hearing the same time, you, you still have to recognize though, that you're living in a system that's hostile to that. Mm. So you, you still have to be of the system while you're trying to retain as much as you can of yourself that's human and to build that into your relationships around you. Mm. That's an indigenous way of being. And you don't have to call it that. And you don't have to go, oh, yeah, I'm using indigenous wisdom in my life. Um, you know, just be human. <laughs> I think it's a beautiful place to, to end because I'm looking at the questions here and we have covered, we have covered the rest already. But um, yeah. I guess what I'm hearing from you there is rather than looking outside of yourself to kind of incorporate this indigenous wisdom, the first place is find it. Yeah, exactly. Yourself. Yeah. Stop mining the margins for, for truth and exotic wisdom. <laughs> it's like, you know, most of it's, it's there anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, find that fragment of yourself that is that, mm. and then build out from that beautiful pattern, let it spiral out. Man, I think that's a beautiful place to, to close off. So Tyson, I, I just want to thank you again for your time, man. It's just um, every time I spend more time with you, I just feel deeply enriched. So thank Same, you. man. Yeah, we've had a couple of sessions now and they've both been deadly. I really yeah. like talking to you. Excellent, man. Although I feel like I've been talking at you for this one. But <laughs> I think that's the genre. That's the podcast genre. Yeah, it is. But also <laughs> it's welcome, man, because it's, it's yeah. very welcome. So, so thanks again, man. I appreciate your time and um, right. look forward to staying connected. No worries, brother.